Hey, good morning, Crossroads. How is everybody? Doing good? Good morning. Good to see you all. All right. Hey, my name's Justin. We really appreciate you taking time out with us this morning, uh, joining us today for the service. Please join me in prayer. All right, Father, thank you so much, Lord. Just thank you for this opportunity that we get to come together, Lord, and uh, to worship, Lord, and to hear your message. Lord, today we're going to be continuing our study through the Gospel of John. We know that's your word. You know where each of us are at. You know exactly what we need to take away from this message, Lord, and we know it's going to hit us right where it needs to. So we just pray um, that that'll happen. We know it'll happen, Lord. We just thank you that your hand is on this message. Nick, as he delivers it, Lord. Thank you. It's in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Hey, good morning. How are y'all today? Good. Me too. Me too. Well, I, I'm Nick, by the way, if you don't know me, and welcome. Uh, this is going to be a treat. Well, we hear people say that all the time. Jesus is our hope. Why do we say that? Why do, why, do they, why do we like that so much? Jesus is our only hope. It's, it's by Jesus' accomplishments, so this is why, because by Jesus' accomplishments that we exist and that we have been saved. It is by what Jesus has actually done that actually makes an actual difference. Because he has been anointed to do it, we say he is the Messiah, the anointed one. You know, and it took me a while to understand what that meant because I just never paid attention. But it means he was anointed. He was chosen to do something. To to do what exactly? Was was my question. So, to carry out a plan, to do something. So we understand having a plan. We understand God has a plan. We understand part of that plan was to create, to create the world. We we know that because we live in a world that has been created. And so we learned last week that God used Jesus to create. Jesus was the one who created everything. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word we learned, we talked about last week, is Jesus. The word that they used was logos. In the beginning was the logos. The logos had already existed. Everything was created through him. So this is neat to think about why did John use this word. He This word was first used 600 years earlier to designate the divine reason or plan which coordinates a changing universe. That was the word that John used to describe Jesus. Now John, we talked a little bit about last week, was was called the beloved disciple. Perhaps the one human being who was closest to Jesus on earth. Perhaps the one human being who knew Jesus the most intimately. They were the closest of friends. And he used the word logos to describe Jesus. And he goes on to say, The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought life to everyone. His existence brought life. The logos. I like to think of it like the the principles of physics. That's just there. It's just true. You can't change it. It is the motive behind the universe. Jesus was the motive behind the universe. That's really neat. We learned that last week. And so I'm copying Bill. Gave me a break. I've got four kids, guys. Come on. So after Jesus constructed the world, remember he was the logos, the driving principle, the motive behind the world. After he created the world, and formed human beings, there was a big falling away. It didn't seem like a big deal at the time. 
But there was Adam and Eve. They were in the garden, in the created perfect world. And, and they, they made a choice, a simple choice. The, the serpent came to them and he's like, hey, look, that apple's good. That looks delicious. Just, just eat it. God's, God doesn't want you to eat it because you'll know all this cool stuff. And so, okay, I'll make a choice. It was inevitable that they would make this choice. It's inevitable that we would make this choice because we make bad decisions, bad choices every day. And the results, they always are less than we thought they would be. Not so great. And we regret many of them. So when this happened, it, it separated them. They separated themselves from God. Their choice separated themselves from God. They were out of the garden, and, and they were no longer enjoying that communion with Jesus, that perfect relationship with God, who John, John the disciple, was perhaps the one person who got the closest to that, as he was called the beloved disciple. So as Adam and Eve and all the generations after lived and grew up further away from God, separated from God, they began to forget what he looked like. They began to forget what he was like and what he did. They had forgotten. So when Jesus came back into the world he created, they didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, the people that, that through the years God had carried out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through catastrophe after catastrophe, and raised them up to his own people. But even they rejected him. But not all of them did. All who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You see the crosses down there. You know what that is referring to. When Jesus came, he, he gave his life. He died so that all who believed in him could become children of God. Now, when he did this, this was part of what he was anointed to do. He was anointed to create. He was chosen and anointed to create the world. He was anointed and chosen to come into the world and to save the world. When he did that on the cross, many people were unimpressed. He, he seemed to have came and died and that was it. But not some of those who were looking for the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. John was one of those. And John wrote this, He's, he wrote, out of his fullness, out of Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law, the Ten Commandments, it was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made known to him. So, so he's, as he was close to Jesus, he is describing what Jesus had done, what he did. And some of what Jesus did was making it clear to us that he is God. We saw that last week. Ego, aimi, aimi. Ego, aimi. I think that's it. But he said, he, he brought up, I am God as a self-declaration, identifying himself as God. So he said, I am God. And then he went on to describe a characteristic of God. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am these things as he was revealing God to them. And he even said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And many people were unimpressed by this. They were, he wasn't doing exactly what they wanted him to do. He died. <laughs> he died on that cross for us. That was it? 
They were unimpressed. He didn't fit their expectations because he was too busy doing what God said he would do. He was too busy being the Messiah. And it wasn't exactly what they expected. But, so they expected a, a king. But it's written here in Isaiah. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his parents. Nothing to attract us to him. I'm going to come back to this, this passage. It's the entire chapter of Isaiah, chapter 53. If you have time, it's worth sitting down and just reading. Because I'm just going to pick and pull a few things from it. But back to this. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his parents. Nothing to attract us to him. Isaiah also says at the end, All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Because he was anointed, chosen to take away our sins, to reveal God in the I am statements, and to bring order back. Because he created, he came, he revealed God to us. He rescued us to bring life, and he will bring order back. A quick aside, he starts doing this in our hearts the moment we accept him as the Messiah. And this is neat. But there will be a final bringing order back. And that is going to be way exciting. So we see as we go through that we are, right now as we follow these I am statements, as we read through the Gospel of John, if you guys grabbed that booklet on the way out last week, we start to see what John saw, what he saw that was so important for us to see, is that Jesus is so many things. <laughs> he is, he was chosen, he was anointed to do what he has done, to create, to reveal, to rescue, to bring order back. Now, Jesus didn't do a lot of saying that he was the Messiah. He didn't spend a whole lot of time going around to people saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, hey, I'm the Messiah. He, he didn't have to because he was actually doing it. He was doing what it said, what the Bible said he would do, what the Old Testament said he would do. He was doing what he was anointed and appointed to do. And he didn't have to say it because he was doing it. If, if you think about it, if I'm driving the car, if I'm in, driving a Suburban with a million kids behind me, they don't have to say, Dad, are you driving? They, they know I'm driving. They see me in the driver's seat. They see me steering the wheel. They see me looking out the window. Um, they see me honking the horn. No, they, they don't usually. They ask me to, but I don't. Um, but, so you know they're driving, and, and this was Jesus. But he did say it, though. He did want to make it clear. And occasionally I also will tell the kids, I am the one driving. But he didn't say it like that. But he did say it. He, he was talking to a lady, and, and she says, she's talking to him, and he starts saying some things, and she goes, okay, okay, yeah, I know. I know that the Messiah, I know that Messiah is coming. And I know that when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus wanted to make sure he knew. He said, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And the night before, the night, the morning, early morning when Jesus is on trial, he's being threatened with death. They're, they're, they're clearly gunning to, to have him turned over to be crucified. And he knows what is coming. They say, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? He said, I am. So just to be clear, so we don't miss it, he never questioned, he never 
he never assumed that we would know. He made it clear to us by his actions and his words. And, and as, as it, it's hard to hide that. I mean, he's the guy. He was the one doing it. So you can't hide that stuff, especially to those who are paying attention. This is, this is special, I think, very special we're about to look at because Jesus lived with these guys, with these the disciples for a long time, with the whole group that was following him. And they just got to learn from him, get to know him, to see him in his best, to see him at his worst. And, and they're the ones who really were revealed, who really were able to see and experience what was going on. And, and Jesus, one day, he asked them, he said, who do you say that I am? And one of his disciples his name was Peter. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That was a big claim. And another one, when he's talking to Martha, he says, do you believe this, Martha? And she volunteers this part because they were talking about the, the top line. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God, that these two would say this. These aren't kings. These aren't experts in anything. The top one is a fisherman. The bottom, Martha, was a lady. They weren't allowed to be educated. It was, it was a totally different deal. These, were, and these weren't rich, famous people. They knew the Old Testament. They knew to be expecting a Messiah. They knew to be looking for something. And they, they knew that explanations, the descriptions of who was coming. And to them, these great and wonderful things had been revealed. After Peter said this, Jesus got, kind of got excited and he said, thank you, Father, that you reveal this to, to the, the poor, that you revealed this, you revealed this to Peter. But even though they knew, even though they acknowledged it, they were, they were still a little confused. There was still some confusion. You know, there is always some confusion as you work out the truth of God into the world because his ways are so far above us. But as we go through it, as we do it, we, we start to experience more and start, it starts to become clearer and clearer. And this is what they did. They didn't fully understand it, but this didn't stop them from giving it their 100%, from sticking close to Jesus, to following him, to understanding the Messiah and looking at the Old Testament scriptures. How does this line up? You know, Peter, the guy who said, you are the Messiah, he was excited. He was expecting a, a ruler, a king to come in and just wipe out everything bad. One day when Jesus was arrested right before his trial where he said, I am, uh, to the religious leaders, um, they came to arrest him and Peter took out a sword and chopped a guy's ear off. And he said, no, we're ready to fight. It's time to go. And Jesus said, stop that. And picked up his ear, put it back on and don't do that. And uh, he didn't quite do it quite that way, but Jesus did pick his ear up. So Peter was confused also. And, and, and the, the sons of thunder, they one day asked Jesus, they said, hey, Jesus, this, this town, they rejected you. Do you want us to call down lightning bolts of fire? And we'll just burn them all up. And Jesus said, no. <laughs> so there was still some confusion going on as they were trying to work this out. And John the Baptist, he also had a question for Jesus. John the Baptist was described as one of the greatest human beings who lived up to that point by Jesus. He had a question. He said, he, he sent some of his friends, because John the Baptist was in jail at the time. He sent his friends over to Jesus to say, are you the Messiah or should we expect someone else? 
What should we expect? Because they, they were a little confused about the Old Testament, and we're going to get into that in a minute, about there seemed to be some conflict between the gentle, humble, loving Messiah who's going to carry us like sheep in his arms and the one who's going to come and do the crushing and wiping out. So John was asking, are, are you him? Are you the one? Are, are we going to expect another? And Jesus didn't answer his question exactly. He, he let his actions speak for his words. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and see. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Those last two bits I think are neat. The good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Well, let's come back to those in a minute. Let's go to the top. Jesus said, tell them what you see. Blind people, they can see you. Deaf people, they can hear. The dead, they are alive. I'm bringing life back into them. I'm the Logos. I have that ability. I have been anointed, empowered to do these things because they all came from me. The sicknesses are, are healed. He was quoting the bottom verse, Isaiah 35. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. That was written 700 years before Jesus did and said these things. Before he did and said these things. It would be one thing to say them, but he actually did them. His actions were speaking extremely loudly. because He didn't have to say that he was the Messiah. Because God is real. His plan is real. And because he wants us to be a part of it, he shows it to us. He has showed it and revealed it to John as John is revealing it to us. It, he started right away. We, went to, we started in the garden stories. I kind of stumbled through Adam and Eve and, and how they rejected and God and we got separated from him. It started there. When they did that, God kind of laid out, okay, now you're separated from me. Your childbirth, it's going to be painful working on the dirt and, and trying to earn a living, it's going to be hard. You're going to, get, you're going to get bruised and cut and beat up. That's going to be hard. And then he talks to the serpent. He talks to Satan and he says, because of what you have done, there will be hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He, the Messiah, He's talking about the Messiah. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You will strike his heel. As, as, as we all experience the sin and the ugliness that comes from Satan, it hurts. It's painful. It's, we bleed. We struggle. And that's hard. But the Messiah, he will strike your head. He's talking about a blow to the head. Has anybody killed a snake before? My, my wife has. It wasn't that long ago. I came home, and there were five pieces of snake on the driveway. And there were rocks everywhere. <laughs> she sent me a text. Is this poisonous? Well, it's hard to tell with five pieces of it, but um, <laughs> she's amazing. She's right there. She gave me permission. But, but the, the deal was, what happened was she was throwing rocks at it to kill it. She got his tail, and then she got midsection. She worked her way up, and she eventually got the head. Job was done. 
a death blow. Jesus, the Messiah, is going to deliver a death blow. He tells the serpent in front of Adam and Eve, right then and there, look, there is hope still. The Messiah is our hope. He will crush sin. He will crush evil because that is what he has been anointed to do, to carry out this plan. And that is a big part of his plan. Do not worry because that is, is the plan. It's simple stuff. He tells Satan that he's going to crush him for doing this, but there is a cost to the flesh. Jesus gave that ultimate cost on the cross when he did what he did. The thing that was so unimpressive to so many people, and they said, if he was God, why is he hanging there? Because he was taking the pain in the flesh for us. And, and we know the pain of sin. We know the pain of suffering. This world has it. We experience it. But that is not forever. That's part of what the Messiah is, is here to do. Start now to jump into the, the Old Testament, what they said the Messiah was going to do, what, they, what the Old Testament says the Messiah, will, where he will come from. First, where he's going to come from. He's going to come from, he's going to be born as a child to a virgin. <laughs> All right, then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. A hint. God is coming to live with you. And he will come from a virgin. So usually, if you're like me, sometimes when you read these things, first time I read the Bible, you kind of skip over some of those things. Like, okay, that's too hard for me to understand. What? They don't really mean that. No, they literally meant that. Because that's something that you can't miss. Sure, many people did not believe Mary when she said she was a virgin. I, you, have to, you have to imagine that. But she will give birth to a son. That's what you are to look for. And then where exactly? But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. So in this town, a ruler will come from you, whose origins are from the distant past. So this is already a little confusing. Someone who has existed from the beginning of time is going to be born in Bethlehem to a virgin. This is like above us. And then he goes on to what the Messiah will do. The time of darkness and despair, the, the results of sin will not go on forever. For the Messiah will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Lift the burden. For a child is born to us. There is the child again. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. We see a ruler, a big, strong ruler here who's going to come in and cut people's ears off if he needs to, throw down lightning bolts if he needs to. We understand why the disciples were, were coming from this direction. You understand what, now, perhaps, why John maybe was like, are you him or is there another? So we see a strong ruler, a conquering Messiah, who will remove the cloud of gloom. He will make it totally different. The shadow of death that hangs over the earth, he'll swallow that up forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. Wipe away all tears. Our tears, our real tears. 
So we see that king who is going to come, lay down his kingdom and make everything perfect and awesome. He was going to get rid of sin for good, get rid of tears, get rid of sadness, get rid of the ugliness. But it wasn't time for that yet. Jesus told a story to help relay this to the disciples. It, it, they were slow. They were almost as dense as I am. And so it took them a little bit. But he, he shared with them the story about a farmer who planted wheat. And he, he says the kingdom of God is kind of like, is, is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. So wheat plants coming up. But in the middle of the night, an enemy came in and planted a bunch of weeds. And so when they woke up, there's weeds everywhere. There's weeds and there's wheat. And, and the, the farmer's helpers are like, should we, should we go pull the weeds up? He goes, no, 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 don't pull the weeds up. If you pull the weeds up, you're going to tear up the wheat. Don't do that. Let them both grow together until the harvest, until the wheat is ready. Then I will tell the har harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat into the barn. If Jesus had come back the first time as the conquering, as the ruling, as the one to immediately wipe out sin, we all would have been wiped out with that sin because the sacrifice for our sin hadn't been made yet. We weren't ready yet. He was here this time for a different purpose. He was here the first time to be crushed, to be caused grief, because it was God's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. So when his life, when he does what he did on the cross, it was so unimpressive to so many. When he does that, there will be so many people that, are, that can now become children of God. When he sees this, all that is accomplished by his anguish, he'll be satisfied. And because of his experience... My righteous servant, talking about the Messiah, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Wow, we. And he's going to come and do this gently because he doesn't want to destroy the wheat. He's got to save the wheat. Look at what he says about him now. So we're, we're going from the big conquering Messiah to the, the humble one who's going to come as Jesus came. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He's my chosen one who pleases me. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. That's a little different than the lightning bolts and the ear cutting off. We see why John had the question. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This was fulfilled when Jesus rode into Jerusalem the weekend he was, he was crucified. He came in on a donkey, humbly, in a common gate. He didn't come in through a king's gate. He came in through a common gate. With, with common people. Have, have y'all seen what it looks like to ride on a donkey? Because the donkeys there aren't tall. They're, they're really short. So when you ride on a donkey, you pick your feet way up, and it looks kind of ridiculous. But he came in riding on, on a donkey, a donkey's colt. And do you know what the people were shouting? 
Hosanna. They were calling him the Messiah. They were calling him the conquering Messiah. Still a little confusion, obviously. Uh, but they, they were acknowledging that he was the Messiah as he came in humbly. Because here's the big deal. He came as a peasant, as a poor, normal person to peasants. And I, I mean that in the, in the best way possible, so that we could relate to the king. It, it's impossible, really, for a peasant to relate to a king. You know, you get your king who says, oh, such a rough day. The prime rib was, was cooked just a little too cold for me. And, and he's like, you had food? It's hard to relate. So equally, it would be hard for us to relate to the perfect God without Jesus, the Messiah, coming and doing what he would do. So he came this way so that we could relate to him, so that he could make the way, because that was what he was anointed and chosen to do. It's exciting. So when John said, are you the Messiah, or should we expect someone else? The answer is yes. I am the first Messiah that you expect to come gently, humbly. And I'm also the Messiah that you should expect to come as the conquering Messiah. A quick note from him as he's describing the end of days. He says, and there will be strange signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil. Perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides, people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. For the powers in heaven in the heavens will be shaken then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. So the Son of Man, that's, that was his title that he used to refer to himself time and time again. So here he is making it clear that he is the conquering Messiah as well as the humble one, the one that came to pay for everyone's sins. So that last two bits from Jesus, when he responded to John's disciples' question, the good news is preached to the poor, and blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. The good news is preached to the poor. He came as a peasant, two peasants, <laughs> so that we could know him, so that we could understand him. And the ones that, the humble ones, the ones that were looking for the real Messiah and not someone to boost their own intentions and desires, not those guys, but the, the ones who were really looking for truth, it was preached to them. And blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. This was also a prophecy, a planned prophecy that would happen. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. So when, when someone rejects Jesus, when someone rejects Jesus' teachings, when someone rejects Jesus as the Messiah, it was prophesied that they would. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone because he was anointed, he was chosen, he was the one to carry it all out. So when we reject him, we are rejecting the cornerstone because he was appointed to reveal God in creation and in human form and, and then to rescue us and to make all things right because without him, there would be none of it. There would be no creation there would be no salvation and no kingdom to come. That was his role, his purpose, and he has fulfilled it faithfully, which is one of the things John called out, which was just so very neat, if I may. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, the Messiah, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father 
has made known to him. It says here, I think I missed part of it, but it talks about how he faithfully carried out the work that he had been given as the anointed one. He faithfully created, he faithfully died for us, and he faithfully is going to continue that work as we go. So it's up to us now. He has faithfully carried this out for us. He's, he's done it, he's shown it, and, and the Old Testament has proven it. If I, as I stumble through some of those prophecies and some of the things that the Bible said would happen and how well they match up, I would really encourage you guys to, to take a look. This group called Jews for Jesus. So a lot of these people were, were the ones who, who you would think Jesus first came to rejected him at first because he didn't fit what they were looking for. But as they sought what the scripture said in the Old Testament said, they, they put together these prophecies and they found that he fit them perfectly. And now there's a group, Jews for Jesus, who current day Jews. Um, they put together 40 prophecies that match what the Messiah, uh, who, uh, who matched up. Here's the Old Testament prophecy and here's what Jesus did. It's really neat and exciting to see that come together. So, it's up to us now to faithfully seek those things out and determine, was he the Messiah or was he not? Because most people weren't impressed. Most people today aren't impressed by the Messiah. For some, it was when he said, I am the bread of life. For some, it was when he said, I am the only way. For some, it was when he said, you must hate your brother or sister or mom in comparison to how much you love me. These are hard things to understand. When he said, I am the bread of life, it's like, no, there's other bread. What do you mean? We, we, we need to, to feast on you. I don't understand that. That seems hard and complicated. And so we start to, okay, there's a stumbling block for us to either accept or not. I am the only way. That sounds exclusive. I don't know about that. And, and I, I really love some of those people. And so we start to, to look away and, and reject Jesus for what he is. We're not impressed enough with him to understand what he's saying and to follow it out. Especially when he comes up to us and says, what you're doing right there, that's not right. That is going to send you down a bad path. Worse, it's going to keep you from me, the anointed one who, who is here to save you. So when we hear these things, it it messes with how we feel. And depending on how we feel about these things, they might decide it's too hard for us to follow. But if he's the Messiah, you better believe we do the best and we get after that. Because Jesus did upset and confuse everyone to the point where they wanted to kill him. Despite the miracles he was doing, despite the things he was showing, enough that they put him on the cross. For the aggressive conquering types, they didn't like it when he, when he said, turn your, cheek, your other cheek to your enemies. Carry their stuff. If they ask you to carry their stuff one mile, carry it two miles. They didn't like that. For the sensitive and compassionate types, he confused them when he held to the truth, even when it offended people around him. When he flipped over tables, when he, when he told people that this is way wrong and offended them. Why, Jesus, why would you do that? Because he was anointed to bring the truth. And so we also are, get to respond and, and understand. Because it, think about it. If he, had come, if he had come in that time and he said, he said, Pharisees, 
all you people, you're doing great. You're trying really hard, really earning your way to, you're trying to earn your way to heaven. You know, good effort. I really like, that's just so amazing and great. They certainly wouldn't have killed him, but that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to bring truth. And that certainly wouldn't have saved anyone at all. You know how people like do foot stomping to like try to make a point? I think that's what's going on upstairs. I don't know what point they think I'm trying to make, but I appreciate the help. No. So, so here's the big one for us. When the Messiah tells us this, if you want to keep your life, if you want to live, give up your life and follow me. <laughs> Take up your cross and follow me because if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. So what do you... If he wasn't the Messiah, if he wasn't the anointed one to do this, if any of you wants to be my follower, give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to it, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus said this to him, and if he wasn't the Messiah, you couldn't do this. There would be nothing behind that. But he was the Messiah. He was there doing these things, fulfilling the prophecies, and there are more to be fulfilled as we are fulfilling them every day, when we choose to accept him as the Messiah, to follow him as the Messiah or not, we choose to acknowledge the truth as he revealed it to us. He revealed it to us so we would know who God is, so that we would know what we worship and who we worship. One of the things he said to that woman at the well who he said, I am he, was you don't know who you worship. This was true for humanity at this time. They didn't know who they were worshiping. They had been so separated from God. A few were diligently seeking. And when Jesus showed up and said the I am statements, as we're going through them in this series, those people received it with joy and gladness. And now it's our turn to receive it with joy and gladness as we can start to know who God is. Because our hearts naturally are, are far from God. And as Jesus was chosen to do what he did. We now have the choice to go after that or not. So is the Messiah enough for us? Are we impressed by him? We don't know until we start looking and diving in and investigating. In the first chapter of the book of John, when, when a couple of guys get excited, they say, he is the Messiah. We found him. He's like, no, can anything good come from where he came from? It's, there's no way. This is his quote. Well, why don't you come and see? Why don't you come and find out? And that's what this group did, the disciples did. And that was exciting. And now it's our turn. Jesus has come. I am anointed to do all of these things. I am the Messiah. And now we are going to march through the I am statements where he says, I am God. And then he describes something about God. I am the Messiah today. I am the bread of life. I am the light. I am not of this world. I am the door, the good shepherd, the only way, the truth, the resurrection, one with him and with the Father. I am coming again. This is our lineup coming up, and this is just going to be exciting. I hope you're enjoying going through the book of John with us, and um, I hope you stick with us through it. It's fun. All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this moment that we have had to, to look at you, to be revealed, for you to be revealed to us. Your love and your kindness and your ways, they know no end. May we respond to that and 
as you reach out and continue to make huge moves in our world. Thank you for just your saving grace and humility. And thank you for the power and strength that is coming behind it that has the ability to save our souls. You are so big, so great. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it. Hope you all did too. Bye.